welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. Today I have a special program for you. I'm going to be joined by uh, my co-host Gadi Tab and also by our dear friend Lee Smith, the best-selling author, uh, the best-selling author of uh, the plot to overthrow the president. I think it's called about uh, the deep state coup against uh, President Trump and the permanent and the Trump, coup. The, the second, the, per- the, the sequel. Yeah, right. The permanent coup and. Um, and so there's Gadi already chiming in, but, um, hello from Tel Aviv. Hi. <laughs> so we wanted to, we wanted to talk about, um, that, that's to say, Caroline Charleston, we have a problem. With the deep state. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lee yeah. is in Charleston and, and, and Gadi's going to allow me to finish my, my opening I'm by sorry. shutting up. So let me just introduce this show, right? Gadi. Yeah. You're Why allowed to you? say yes. Anyway. Yes, yes sir. Uh, ma'am. Right. And this isn't. And, and the, the strange thing is that this isn't a rehearsal. We're actually taping this and this is going to be seen by other people. So look at how much we like each other. No, just kidding. Anyway, but um, the, the reason that we wanted to have Lee on the program today to talk to us is because there are uh, talk is now abounding about prime, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu making a plea deal with prosecutors to end his uh, legal jeopardy in the trial that he's having on graft charges. And uh, there are so many parallels, and we've been struck by them from the outset of the Trump administration, really, between the legal fraternity and the media's hounding of Benjamin Netanyahu and their attempt now apparently successful to oust him not only from office, prime minister, but perhaps if he takes the plea deal uh, from political life, from public life, from political life in Israel. Um, And uh, there are so many obvious parallels between that and the Trump-Russia collusion conspiracy lie that uh, Lee Smith has really been one of the pioneers of covering and exposing in the US media. Um, so we wanted to talk about that and just briefly to bring everybody up to speed who hasn't been you know, scope locked on what's happening in Israel. So everybody who's been watching this program knows that Netanyahu was indicted on three counts um, or three three charges, one having to do with uh, alleged where he's indicted for bribery and breach of trust and um, for uh, and uh, the bribe that he ostensibly received was positive coverage or uh, or um, untoward uh, untoward receptive receptiveness of a media organ for his interests in exchange for regulatory favors. So uh, as Gadi and I have been documenting, um, the case in court has utterly destroyed the claim of bribery or le- regulatory favors. And that's the sort of flagship charge that Netanyahu was, or count that Netanyahu was indicted on and is falling apart. Another one is influence peddling with the owner of Yidiot Achronot, one of Israel's major tabloid papers, uh, that uh, the publisher of which has been waging a media war against Netanyahu since the 1990s. Um, and that also has fallen apart. And the third one is that he accepted gifts from friends, which strangely is you know, completely legal in Israel. And yet he was indicted for breach of trust because the attorney general, Avichai Mandelblit, claimed that he got too many cigars and bottles of champagne from uh, Arnon Milchin, who's a, a Hollywood producer, actually gave far more of those things to uh, now foreign minister Yair Lapid, but he was never indicted for that. So the first two charges have fallen apart and the attorney general is willing to uh, end them. They were the reason why uh, we ended up in 
governmental instability and sort of a, a whirlwind of four election campaigns that ended up ousting Netanyahu and bringing the far left uh, and the Muslim Brotherhood's power in the current government. And um, they're going to be dropped. And Netanyahu is supposed to cop a plea for breach of trust um, and then accept that uh, he is uh, his acts were done in, with perfidy, and as a result, he's banned from office for seven years. And since which, he's seventy-two, which was old, their aim. This is, wait, I, I think, the key to understanding everything is that they're willing to drop all the criminal charges in exchange for his leaving office, because the aim from the beginning was had nothing to do with criminal law. It was just a means in order to oust Netanyahu. And, and I think that something our American um, uh, listeners probably uh, don't know is that the man who brokered the, the, the deal is the retired uh, our parallel of the chief justice, the uh, president of the Supreme Court, we called him here, who is uh, widely considered here to be the representative of the deep state and has been, he, he's re this is just the, the tip of an, an iceberg of a coup that began in the 90s where he slowly maneuvered for the judiciary to take over more and more authority until it now holds sovereignty. It now holds final authority on anything, including the formation of an Israeli constitution. It's an unparalleled thing in, 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 in any democracy in the West. And it's amazing that when Netanyahu decided to negotiate for a plea deal, he didn't go for any of the functionaries who are now in office. He went straight to this, if, if you ever needed a demonstration that there is a deep state, this is an informal structure where he is still the big don. Right, and it, it's not only just that he's a big don. I mean, he's a, I said in a, in a television interview earlier this week that what he is, is he's the head of the cult. He's the head of the legal cult in Israel and it has its own rituals. It has its own gods. It has its own values. And the idea is, and which are not Zionists, they're anti-nationalist, they're post-Zionist, uh, they're anti-Judaism, um, and they're very, very radical. And uh, Barack believes that uh, they're extremely progressive, that, that it's the rule, it's the role of the enlightened leaders of the, it's sort of a platonic democracy of the enlightened guardians that they're supposed to tell us what to do, inform our values, and that they can intervene on everything because they're judges and they're lawyers, and therefore they're vested with special knowledge and, and true values of what's truly good, and they know better than the people themselves. He said this explicitly many times, in fact, he calls it substantive democracy. And the people who make up that substance are the unelected uh, judges and unelected lawyers who work for the government, and they get to lord over everybody as they've arrogated all executive and legislative powers away from Israel's elected officials. And I just, and as this has been going on, Lee, well, let's just open it up to you. You know, there's so many parallels with what happens and how the deep state and the American ruling class view democracy. Uh, how 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 are you struck? Are you you know when you hear the news? I, well, I I have a question first, just for clarity. What was the first charge again? It wasn't. They changed it. I remember Gaddy and I had spoken about this. They changed it from at first. Uh, in exchange for favorable coverage. And then there was research finding that the, the coverage wasn't extraordinary, yeah. extraordinarily favorable. So what was the phrase then that they changed it to? Unusual, how did, how did it unusual responsiveness. 
Okay. Receptiveness. Well, receptiveness okay. to Netanyahu's demands. Right. So here, here's here's the issue as I see it. That that's garbage language, right? Yeah. Right. Israel, you are surrounded by obscurantism, right? Especially the Islamic Republic of Iran, right? What what? It's a regime based on uh, based on. Um, based on a particular interpretation of Shia Islam, right? But look at the language, look at the beliefs around it. It's all garbage. It's all magical. Look at what we've been talking about regarding the Middle East for decades now, right? Whether it's uh, whether it's Mossad spy sharks, whether it's uh, whether it's IDF eagles captured in Turkey or something. And, and we laugh, we laugh, it's funny, it's silly. But we see that these cultures are, we see what the problems with these cultures are. If you have these magical ideas, your culture, your society, your political culture has no basis to have discussions or make important decisions. What this looks like to me as an outsider looking in is this is obscurantist language, right? It's purpose to bring down, you know, to bring down someone's political career. What I can say from the United States is this fake language and these fake ideas have uh, have enormous consequences, which we're already starting to see here. I don't want to take us too far afield, but I'll just say, right, you know, my book, The Plot Against the President and the Permanent Coup, they're both fundamentally about the what I call the Russiagate operation, which was a sp- FBI spying operation against the presidential campaign on behalf of another presidential campaign. But all the language made up about this, Trump is a Russian spy, so-and-so is a Russian spy. It, 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 was, it was garbage language and garbage ideas. What I mean by real-world consequences, if you look right now uh, how there are Russian forces perched on Ukraine's borders, <laughs> we see now what America's uh, rivals have been looking at for the last five years that these are not serious people. These are garbage people with garbage ideas. They've made up a story to target their own president. And now look at where they are. They can't do anything. Further, the Ukrainians, different Ukrainian officials and Ukrainian activists got involved. I mean, this is this lesson is historic. This will be taught for as long as um, foreign affairs are taught. The idea of a smaller power like Ukraine getting involved in domestic American politics to try to tilt the scales against uh, one party, one president on behalf of another. And now look at where they are. They're they're entirely vulnerable to the person about whom uh, they, they, they said was their main threat. And he was working in league with Donald Trump. Anyway, my fundamental point is this. This language, these ideas, once injected into the public sphere, the consequences are enormous. The consequences, we've already seen them here in the United States. I imagine the consequences uh, for Israel will be, uh, will also be quite big. Look, I mean, I, I, we know that all these things that are happening in our domestic spaces, other people, you, you don't need a clandestine service to look at how the um, Israeli establishment targeted Benjamin Netanyahu and what they did, what the language was and what the purpose was. This is being seen by this is being seen by officials and spy services around the world, just as they looked at what was happening at the United States during the Trump years. You know, I, I just to go back for a second to the Ukraine issue, because I, I think it's um, 
it's it's a double it's a double whammy in the sense that the the anti-Russian uh, hysteria that the uh, that the FBI and the Democrats and and the whole deep state apparatus in the United States just to whipped the United the the American people into over the RussiaGate conspiracy uh, really put. America into this position where it doesn't have the ability to put together a coherent or a rational policy towards Putin okay. and Russia. And, okay. and so, yeah, Ukraine has, you know, they, they, they manipulated themselves into this crazy position with, with Putin where they're about to, you know, they, they, they may very well lose okay. their sovereignty completely, but the United States may find itself at war, you know, that it really doesn't, it's not clear I mean, it's not that America has no national interest invested in in Ukrainian sovereignty. Yeah. It has some, but I'm not sure that it's of the, it's a, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to me that it's it's weighty enough to go to war against Russia over. You know, this was yeah, not I, a Cold War scenario for war between yeah, the United I, States I, and Russia. I, I think that the people who describe from uh, mostly people in Washington who describe this as a dire situation. And will the Biden administration have to have to invest resources and make war on against Russia? I, I find that highly unlikely for any number of reasons. But the, the important thing is, as you said, the United States has no after Donald Trump. Now, the United States has no real Russia policy. Right. A, a serious Russian policy could have been something like. And by the way, one of the important things for people to understand is is that by um, not making, not taking any moves um, on Nord Stream 2, the Biden administration essentially greenlighted what, uh, what Putin did regarding Ukraine. The larger point is just this, is that what we think of as domestic, uh, having only domestic consequences, in fact, with powers like the United States and Israel, they have consequences for us far outside our borders. This language, this language, obviously we know what they're saying about Netanyahu. We know that the language will shape the nature of Israeli politics, but it, would also, it will also shape perceptions of how people understand Israel and how people understand Israel's place in the region. You know, one of the things that I find troubling um, is that you know, it, we had this we had this incredible campaign that was started uh, this week by uh, one of the top uh, right wing commentators in Israel. And uh, it was like a GoFundMe kind of page for Netanyahu's uh, legal fees. And within three hours, they had raised over a million shekels from the general public, mm -hmm. people putting in, you know, 50 shekel, 10 shekel, 100 shekel, 1000 shekel uh, uh, donations. So. Which is around three hundred thousand dollars U.S. Dollars. But you know, it, it's it's the million concept is the same here as mm. it is there. And over a two year period, a two mm. two day period, they raised a total of three million, which is about a million dollars mm. from the public. And um, so it's a it's a pretty substantial uh, move. And it and it's a testament to how angry Israelis are over what's happening. Mm -hmm. How many so many? How many? Just how many Israelis are oh. so angry, and they feel that the hounding of Netanyahu is really the hounding of them, because the concept is that he's their representative, and he's being uh, removed from office in a coup by unelected attorneys. Yeah. So now that they're seeing the the politicians and the same media that was behind this whole plot 
are now seeing that the work is, is finally about to end, that Netanyahu is going to be leaving the stage. And they're all saying, mm -hmm. oh, now we can kiss and make up. And that the uh, uh, right-wing defectors who formed this radical government with the, uh, with the left and with the Muslim Brotherhood, they're gonna break it up and they're gonna go back to the right and everything will be fine and all is well and all manners of things are well. And, um, and, I, and I think that, I don't know obviously what's gonna happen. I don't have a crystal ball, but when you look at the level of sentiment, of anger, of rage, that Netanyahu's two million supporters feel at what's happened, I, I think we're going to see much more of a disarray in our politics than we've 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 experienced even with our four successive elections. What is its situation? How would you describe the parallel situation in the United States between the right and the left, conservatives and progressives in the Biden administration? Well, the way that I've the way that I I mean. You know, the, the Biden administration, I mean, there have been, uh, you know, we've seen even uh, CNN reporters backing off the Biden administration because it's it's, you know, it's it's a sinking ship. I think one of the important things that I'll just I'll describe here very quickly. And I think there are probably similarities to um, to the uh, Israeli political scene. But the way that I've understood it is what we're looking at is we're looking at a elite on the way out. Right. The problem is a lot of. Uh, you hear a lot of commentary on the right and the word about the future of the United States, the word about the way America, and understandably, that things are not good right now. But the way that I understand this is America is still a strong country, uh, still have people who love this country, who will sacrifice, um, who will sacrifice enormously for this country. The problem is the argument that I've made again, it's not the end of America, it's the end of this particular American elite. So it's a it's a transition. And look, if you, if you look at Joe Biden, I mean, people have compared Biden to the end drop off years of the, you know, to end drop off himself in the Soviet Union. This I mean, this is this man is a mummy. I mean, he he barely exists as, a, you know, he, he he's, he's a mummy with an algorithm. And, and in that way, it's it's charming and funny to see what our AI geniuses can do. But insofar as this man um, is a real president managing the, managing the country? Obviously not. And of course, it's very dangerous because who are the people who are behind him pushing all sorts of various interests um, with, with, with Biden as a screen, all right? So it's, it's, a it's a very dangerous moment here. But the reason, again, I'm optimistic about what's happening here is uh, that we're seeing the end of a particular branch of the American elite. And I've heard, you know, I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys. But I mean, my my question is, I know that this is this has been a political um, conflict within Israel for decades. The, the 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 there is one elite. There's an Ashkenazi elite, but there's lots of other people in the country. So I'm I'm interested to hear if there's a you know if this elite is on its way out or if it's feeling its oats now that it's um, now that it's appears to have thrust. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu out of the political arena for, I, I think, forever. I think that it had it had a big price. As Erel Segal here, uh, a, a, a very interesting pundit here, uh, commented, he said that this uh, uh, judicial oligarchy that went after Netanyahu went one bridge too far. And he said, when you try to hunt down Moby Dick, your own ship is in danger of sinking. And, mm. and what happened with the Netanyahu trial is that it exposed them. 
It exposed their illegal methods. It exposed the way that they are trying to string together a ridiculous indictment. It's really in, 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 in judicial matters, it's ridiculous. And it also exposed, which, is, which for me is one of the most interesting things, it exposed the press because as, as, as I see it here, and it, and, and it connects to the way I learned to see it from you, Lee, in the American arena, the press is a central arena of the coup. This is an, mm -hmm. up, this is an info op. What, what, what really happened here, as far as I understand it, is not that the press is subordinate to law enforcement, is that the press has turned law enforcement into its investigative arms. And of course, it has- That's it, a nice it, way to put it, right. It has enormous uh -huh. investigative powers, and therefore the leaks here, like in America, was the center of it all. Because what, right. what happened is, like in America, it, it started with an info op infusion GPS and all in the Democratic Party. Here, it started in the press, and then the investigation began. And 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 if you look at it just pragmatically, not analytically, what actually happened is that the state produced dirt for the uh, for the the press to uh, uh, throw out at the public in and in in the hope of hurting Netanyahu electorally. So I think this is the, the parallels are 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 very striking. I think one of the things that I find um, discouraging is that it's true that our ruling class in Israel and your ruling class in the United States have been discredited by what they did, by their coups against the elected leaders of both countries. Um, but I'm not sure how they get shouted, you know, shunted from power because, I mean, you do have here in particular, and 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 I think to a very significant degree in the United States, I mean, you have people on the right and you have people on the left who have unbridgeable gaps between them, who have different values. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and it was always, you know, in Israel, there was always, I wrote about this last week, there's always been this consensus among the Jews that we want a Jewish state so that the question of demography was, was decisive. Are we going to maintain a Jewish majority or not? Can we as Jews maintain our sovereignty, our nation state in, in, in the land of Israel or not, and that that was a numerical question more or less. But now what we're seeing with this government is that it's a post-Zionist government where you have a minority of Israel's Jews who have cut themselves off from the rest of the Jews and are willing for the sake of power to sacrifice the Zionist stream and form a government that's literally abandoning Israel's sovereignty in the Negev, which is 40% of the territory of the country, to, to the Muslim Brotherhood. And, uh, you know, and a whole host of other things are just sacrificing the Jewish identity of this country to the various radicals in the, in the governing faction, in the governing coalition. And in the United States, you see you know, progressives who are literally going to war against the American people, against American history, against American parents, against American children, against American health system, and, and so on and so forth. And so the question is, <clears throat> how, do, how do you get rid of a, an, an elite when the people themselves who are not part of the ruling class hmm. are so polarized or so divided? Um, I would I would I would say Israel has a big advantage over the United States in this one um, in this one counter that it doesn't have to do with it doesn't have to do with uh, I mean yeah it's of course it's a, it's a proudly nationalist state as as is 
as are many Americans still, regardless of what uh, what the our progressive our progressive elite says. The advantage that Israel has is that Israel has the Bible, by which I mean there is a there is a. It's not just that it's not just that values come from the Bible and the Bible. But the Bible is also a story. It's a history that explains what happens throughout history, right? And what is the story that keeps happening? The problems of the Jewish people, right? The problems with their leadership, the problems, uh, what they turn from and what they turn to. So I think, and, and of course, for, for many Americans, especially evangelicals, um, and who understand our own experience, uh, on the basis of what uh, of, of what Israel has gone through for thousands of years, I think those people have a huge advantage over over those of us who see. Look, American history is 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 still really short. I mean, we're the oldest democracy in the world, but you know, not even two hundred fifty years old yet. So, what are the different um, changes? What are the different transitions that we'll go through? And I think we're seeing a profoundly transitional time now. But does it mean that American history is coming to an end? No, and I don't think it means that the that that Israel as a as a Jewish state uh, as a Jewish state is either of of course it's coming it's coming under threat. But again, that's why the Bible is valuable. We see this. It's a history of what it's a history of how people fight for their beliefs. Uh, you, hey, don't you understand? You turn from God. Here's what happens. The prophets are screaming again. Here's what's going on. So that's how I think that Israel has a ha, has an advantage over many Americans who are concerned uh, about where our country is going right now. And yet you know, there are I, other Americans who do see it like that. I, I gave a I gave an I gave a lecture to a group of uh, uh, to, to a group of. Uh, uh, pre-army uh, aged uh, kids who are in a leadership school last week and I and we had just read in the Torah portion of the week about um, uh, Moses getting the eve of leaving Egypt going mm -hmm. out of uh, the exodus and at this and Rabbi Sachs uh, the recently departed uh, chief mm -hmm. rabbi of, of Britain wrote a beautiful piece about it where he was explaining that you know Moses said to the children of Israel three times the night that they're leaving, the most unbelievable event that, you know, in human history, right, where God is taking a nation of slaves out of the global superpower and destroying the global superpower. And this is something that's nuts. Right. And so instead of living that moment three times during the portion of the Torah that we read that week, Moses says to them, and you will tell your children, and you will tell your children, and you will tell your children. And it's all about turning this into history. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. What will it mean through the ages? And so Rabbi Sachs explained that the United States and Israel are these two countries that created themselves, these two nations that created themselves by acts of will that were sort of against mm -hmm. the laws of nature. And, and their survival depends on the retelling of their story. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, for instance, the 1619 project is so disastrous, because if you have a generation of Americans, right. or for that matter, of Jews who have no idea what their story is, and they're not going to retell it, and then the, right. then the nations will disappear. And so, you know, I, I think that is an existential threat. I think the lack of history, the revision of Jewish history, the revision of American history, mm -hmm. 
by these progressives is an existential threat specifically to these two uh, mm-hmm. self-defined nations, yeah. self-created nations. What, I mean, what we're watching right now, the way I, the way I understand it, is we're watching a, a campaign of demoralization and desecration. And it's as if we're under an occupying power, because this is what occupying powers do. I actually believe this is an occupying power because they go into a they go into a civilization. They look if you look at if you look especially at the 1619 project that should be seen in the con or rather the George Floyd riot should be seen in the context of the 1619 project, right? 1619 project. It's not just some crazy thing cooked up by some you know by some nut, right? This has the backing of the New York Times. This has the backing of what you know, of the American establishment, right? It's an occupying power. They're tearing down our monuments. They're destroying, they're attacking our history, our stories. So it's not just values, right? It's not just, we're going to teach these crazy things in public school. No, it's a total campaign of desecration, right? That's where it goes. But then again, the country is larger than New York Times readers, right? The United States is. And it appears to me that Israel is a larger country than the people who read. Uh, Gaddy, I know, I'm sorry, I don't, it's not a swipe. I know you're still writing for Haaretz, but I mean, it's more than the readers of Haaretz. So there are people who tell these stories, right? There are people who understand our history and where we're from. And those people, I think, um, my belief is those people, I certainly feel this way, those people, it's not only do they have our real story in their head, they understand that this is a moment, this is a profound moment in our history. And it is a, a blessing to be alive at this time and to be engaged in this struggle, right, for for our country against what is effectively an occupying power. So they not only know the story, they're involved in it, they're engaged in it, and they're using it as a source to continue the fight right now. So, um, well, Gadi, you chime in. I'm I'm stealing your thunder too. Yeah, I I I share Lee's optimism in some uh, uh, fundamental sense, and and that sense is is that I that I I look at society and not just at the power structures. And I think that that both the American society and Israel society have enormous powers of vitality and are not going to give in to this forever. And especially in the case of Israel, where, where my, my sense is more uh, intuitive, um, Israelis are fundamentally democratic. And, 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 and the fact that we now expose the undemocratic means of of this coup and the undemocratic goals of this coup, it's something that will take a while to reverberate. As I think um, many things in America will take time to reverberate, especially the 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 because these elites get they get more arrogant and more clumsy in mm-hmm. the way they try to impose their values and their narratives. And they got into I, I'm I'm my knowledge of this is not is not yet. Uh, up to speed, but the way they, they, the, the American elites wove 
the, uh, the January 6th narrative is just now you see the seams. It's not, we, we're after, we're after Russian collusion, which turned out to be a hoax. We're after the laptop from hell and the way the, they suppressed the story right before the election. And they're, and they're still, it's like, it's like Big Brother is still blurring through the, the, the megaphones, but we've seen the old man behind the curtain. And, and eventually this, this must have an effect here as well as, as there. So Caroline, I'm, I, I, I'm on the more optimistic side in the long run. You know, just one last thing, and I'd, and I'd love it if, if Lee would also chime in. I mean, one of the mm. things that bothers me or concerns me about what we're, what we're living through in Israel and, and in the United States is the absence of an accounting. You know, you had in the United States, you have the John Durham uh, probe, which people, you know, after being really optimistic and hopeful about it in like 2019, realized that this wasn't going to actually bring about any accounting for what had just happened to the United States. And now it's in dribs and drabs, you know, coming out wow. with an, and, and here, you know, you see that the coup plotters in Israel are all getting rewarded with plum jobs uh, that are, that are so absurd. Like one of them who, who was a truly post-Zionist horrible woman named Dina Zilber in the attorney general's office, she just got a radio show where she gets to say, what it what it means to be Israeli like that's literally the name of her show. But but you know, but Caroline, don't you see that they are becoming ridiculous, and most Israelis are looking at this and thinking to themselves, "This is." That's a your sham. answer. Your answer yeah. is that the accounting is that the public just doesn't take them serious anymore. That it's not oh. a matter of them having to be, you know, called to public account and in a court of law or in a in a, in an inquiry or some sort of another where they're actually forced to give an accounting for what they did, where they, they have to pay a public price or a criminal price for what they did, because in the United States, nobody is either, you know, not but, really. But, but it came close and, 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 and the whole story, the whole story exploded like this, right? Lee's first book is, is Devin Nunes uh, exposing this using a parliamentary committee, which we don't have. But they're in charge and Devin, Devin Nunes is leaving right. Congress. Yeah. The, the, the accounting that you are talking about, look, I, 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 I still hope we have more of an accounting for Durham from Durham. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about this, though maybe I shouldn't be. Time will, time will tell. Maybe um, I should be more optimistic. I hope I'm the one who's just well, being overly pessimistic here. But this is, a political, this is a political accounting and a, a political accountability, which fits into the nature of American politics insofar as we have all sorts of checks and balances. It's not just the three branches of governments, right? The two different parties are part of that check and balance. If you do this to us, this will happen to you, right? But there's another kind of accounting too. And the other kind of accounting is a moral accounting. And I assure you, <laughs> there will be a moral accounting. After what we've seen for the last two years and the devastation that the American oligarchy has let loose, unleashed on the American public, I guarantee you there will be moral accountability for that. There is no doubt in my mind that this will happen. Do I, do, am I happy when I see Andrew McCabe or Peter Strzok get a book deal or, or get some, no, I think that's bad. I think that's, I think it's bad taste. I think it's ugly. I think it's vulgar. I think it's, it's wrong, right? These are these are all side issues. There's something much much larger 
that's going on and there's something incredibly large that will happen. This is a country that's been devastated for two years by this stuff. The idea that somehow as the tide will turn that Americans will say, well, you know, Dr. Fauci meant well, didn't he? I mean, he didn't mean to do all these things to us to destroy our businesses. I mean, we got to give the guy a break. You know, he, he was doing his best, wasn't he? These things will not happen. There will be a serious moral accounting and um, may God have mercy on the, on the people who are on the other end of it. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that we've seen, um, one of the things that we've seen in the United States as it's gotten more woke, as the progressives have become more uh, entrenched in the, in, in the halls of government is that America is becoming more anti-Semitic. And uh, this is something new. Uh, this is something that that really ha we hadn't seen real political mm. anti-Semitism. We'd seen a lot of anti-Semites in politics, mm. but the use of anti-Semitism as a uh, as an organizing tool yeah. in the United States and American politics is something um, we certainly have. I mean, maybe you had that a bit, or or to a certain degree in the 1920s. Uh, with the Aliens Act and and the isolationism and and Charles Lindbergh, Lindbergh, and, yeah, sure. and Coughlin and 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 Henry that Ford. Henry Ford and oh, all that, those uh, Michiganders, um, mm. and uh, but we see it to a much larger degree now in the United States. You have <coughs> over a, a, a hundred Democratic senators and and lawmakers in 2018 that wrote letters of support to the committee or to the. Uh, Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE, which is an unindicted co-conspirator in the in the in the Holy Land Fund uh, terror mm -hmm. financing case of 2008. Uh, they're a Hamas front group. They raised money for Al Qaeda, <clears throat> and yet, you know, they they were uh, also they've also been pushing for the release from prison of uh, of what's her name, Aifa uh, Siddiqui. Ah, who, yeah, Siddiqui. Yeah. Yes, and um, and uh, who who was a subject of the hostage taking at Beth Israel Congregation mm -hmm. outside of Fort Worth on on Shabbat, um, and uh, as a result, you know, you see that the FBI itself was denying initially that it was an anti-Semitic attack, which was just insane and perfidious. And and Biden still said yeah. they can't figure out why he was using all that anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli right. language. So, I mean, I, I think this is something very new right. uh, in American politics. And, you know, I'd like your yeah. take on it. Well, and, and you know, as you mentioned, anti-Semitism and the idea that they're anti-Semitic politicians, this is not new. This is, I mean, right. this has been going on for a long time. We uh, love and praise Israel as a, or praise the United States as a country that is, you know, philo-Semitic based on the Bible, loves Israel. And and that's true, but there's also you know, there's also a lot of anti-Semitism here, and always has been. No, what you're talking about is um, largely a, a function of immigration, actually, um, where this is this is anchored in immigration patterns. We're rightly concerned about immigration coming uh, across our southern border, but there's another kind of immigration as well that's shaping the character of the United States. And this is immigration from the Middle East. It's immigration from Pakistan. It's immigration from Africa um, some of the, and, and from, from majority Muslim countries um, where uh, anti-Semitism 
is 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 built into those political cultures and those political cultures are coming here. And I think that most people will recognize this. I mean, all we have to do is point to two different members of Congress, uh, Democratic yeah. members of Congress, Ilhan Omar uh, and Rashida Tlaib. So if, if, if we look at that, this is one of the big things that's going on. If you look at a, if you look at a place like Dearborn, Michigan, right? Okay. Who thought it was a good idea to give 35,000 Hezbollah supporters US passports. Clearly someone in the State Department thought that was a good idea, right? So that's what's happening. This um, Democratic Party anti-Semitism is anchored in the immigration, the recent immigration patterns of the United States. I, I what, about the, not- what about the, the Red-Green Alliance where you have that you know, like change.org had a online yeah. petition that got over 30,000 votes calling for the release of Siddiqui from U.S. Uh, right. prison, from federal prison. I mean, you have this conflation of and, the, and the far left start, and the Islamists. They'll start, do, they'll start doing it again. I mean, well, but I mean, but as we know, uh, anti-Israel activism is one of the is one of the centerpieces of, of of the left, right? And it, it has been for a long time. You know, so, something that something that uh, someone was telling me several years ago, which was fascinating. He was saying, you know, uh, we think that a lot of this activism on school campuses is coming from sort of crazy left wing white kids, either you know Jewish kids or or you know someone out you know f- from some hippies out in California. It's not. These are anchored by <laughs> these organizations are run by. Uh, by Muslim kids who are born in the United States, but whose parents come from the Middle East, they come from Pakistan, they come from Africa. So that's a very large part of what's going on. And this has been, and look at what happened within the last six months, right? The Biden administration airlifted uh, 150,000 uh, 150, Af- 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 Afghanistanis to the United States, right? This is this is not going to help. Unvetted, yeah. Right. Un- unvettable, right? They're, unvettable. They're, it's not possible to vet them unless unless they actually helped out the United States or they committed a crime or they're on some terror watch list. Otherwise, I mean, Afghanistan isn't, they're not keeping records of farmers or, you know, this is, they don't know who, no one knows who these people are. And they're being moved all around the country. Anyway. But now that, they're that, holding the American records of all collaborators with the American occupation. It's that, that, that's the one of the most horrible human rights violations that, that, I, that I can think of in recent years. But I, I think that's where a lot of our, you know, you're talking about Afia Sadiqi. I mean, they'll, they'll start, you know, Linda Sarsour, I've seen, uh, you know, I, I've seen lots of news about how she was, she was one of the people who was demanding her release. So this is a popular cause in different sectors of the United States. And I guarantee you that they will return to defending uh, and demanding the release of Afiyatis Siddiqui, like after this cools down a little bit, they'll go back to it and they'll find different ways to start rallying around this. I mean, you know, they, I mean, they, they've been rallying on behalf of, uh, you know, on, on behalf of Hamas people, on behalf of Hezbollah people. As I said, how many Hezbollah supporters can one Michigan town, uh, can one Michigan town support? As it turns out, how much do you think that this actually? How much do you think that this actually uh, informed the American decision to surrender Afghanistan to the Taliban? You think it had anything to do with 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 what happened in in Afghanistan and the humiliating way that the United States withdrew from there? Or you mean do you think that people, it's not really? 
I mean the Islamization over. of the Democratic Party through this oh. immigration and through the Red Green Alliance of these immigrants and the far left. No, no, I I, I don't think that informed it. Look, I I, I actually I I've been writing about this for uh, you know after being a, uh, an early defender of the war in Afghanistan, I, I considered it the most the most corrupting and corrupt war in American history. So I'm I I was keen for us to get out. I was keen for Donald Trump to withdraw forces. It was another indication of how tied up he was by the you know, by, by deep state operatives. So I'm, 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 I actually, uh, as, as, as t- the withdrawal was insane, leaving something like 40, 80 something billion dollars worth of, of us arms. I mean, everything right. from, you know, I mean, everything from aircraft to uh, something that people skip over all the time are these night vision goggles, which are really, really important. Um, so that's disastrous. But getting out of Afghanistan itself, I think that was uh, it was an idea whose time had come. Do you think I, that there was than, a better way to have done it? Ago. Do you think it was yeah, a better think, way to have done it? Mean, yeah, you think I, a, a competent president would have done it competently, that it would be possible? I, yes, absolutely. I think it would have been possible. I, you know, I, I mean, there was going to be some there was inevitably going to be some chaos with a withdrawal. But I mean, at, at, what, what, what people say, it's like, well, why, why would you shut down Bagram? Uh, why do you get the army out first? You know, the point is to get out the different people. The new thing is like, what, what, why were we intent on airlifting hundreds of thousands of Afghani citizens or Afghani citizens, Afghanis out of there and into the United States, right? I mean, there, there, there is absolutely, there was absolutely no need for that at all. Look, if we had hundreds of thousands of people who were really helping U.S. troops, then that war, that war would have been won uh, that war would have been won within three years. But no, there weren't that many Afghanis who were helping American forces there. Uh, when you look at the situation of the American Jews, and I mean, within three years, we've had four attacks on synagogues. We had the massacre mm-hmm. at the kosher supermarket in New Jersey. Um, and there's more anti-Semitism or there's more palpable anti-Semitism in, in sort of in the air in the United States than at any time in, in you know, since the since the Second World War. Um, it, it's going to yeah. it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I'll tell you why, why. Is that? it's not foreign policy. It's because of the same thing that we were talking about before regarding the language that they used uh, in the indictment of Netanyahu. Once they start once they start turning around language and using it like this, this has always been the danger. Look at what happened with the Iran deal. The Iran deal, the Iran deal um, legitimized, it wasn't just the nuclear weapons program. It legitimized the regime that embodies anti-Semitism, right? Saying, okay, we're making a lot of room here for all the nuts. Iran is now going to be an American partner. That legitimizes that in itself legitimized anti-Semitism. The more crazy a place gets, right? I mean, that's this is one way we understand anti-Semitism, right? It's like, it's, I, I put it as, it, it's the, it's the um, form that unreason takes in modern politics, right? Okay. The crazier and crazier people are getting with stuff, whether it's COVID lockdowns, whether it's COVID regulations, the nuttier and nuttier our politicians get um, national officials, state and local officials, the more irrational that their edicts become, the more and more we will see anti-Semitism. This is inevitable. 
These things go hand in hand. I have no doubt it's about to get worse. And again, it's not because of anything that Israel is doing anywhere in the world. It's not because of anything that Jews are doing anything in the world. It is the nature of madness. You know, I mean, I, I, what were you going to say, Gadi? I, I was going to say that I think I think Jews in America are contributing to to the fire of, of anti-Semitism um, when when they start attacking national identities, um, when they are when when they are uh, turning giving credence to the anti-Zionist uh, BDS movement, when they're basically joining anti-Western forces. And then, then the backlash, we can't then weed out and say, look, this is a justified criticism of George Soros, uh, but don't hate Jews in general. It's, it's lamentable that, and this is a streak in the Jewish people that's been lamentable since, uh, since the Hellenic Empire, that we have, a, we have a particularist national and an internationalist streak. And when a religion has international or universal aspirations, it's one thing, but when a national nation has universal aspirations, it's another thing. And it's lamentable that Jews have been such a dominant presence in the Bolshevik revolution, and they're such a dominant presence in the globalist uh, movement. And, and, and backlash is to be expected. Look, there was this, there, there was the, the, the hijacking of uh, of a rabbi in in a Texas uh, synagogue this week, and this is a rabbi I just saw on on Facebook who who said Israel is an apartheid state and who taught his his flock not to carry guns, so and, and not to come with them to the synagogue. So there you go, and and he's been teaching teaching them that Israel treats Islam unfairly, and now he has a he, he has a, a, an, an Islamic terrorist kidnap him. Um, so the, we, we look at it from here, and I think Zionism has managed to make Jewish existence coherent. America has the potential to do that, too, if Jews, as other people, accept the national identity and, and the commitment to the state. If they, if they attack the, the, the very, and, and Caroline and I have been talking about it repeatedly, mm. that those Jews who are anti-Zionists are often anti-American in the same in the same uh, sense, well, in the same, same way reasons. that, yeah. in the same way that anti-Semitic non-Jews are often anti-American as well. I mean, it, it's the same thing. I think. I mean, I, I, I think. But, but I Carolyn, fear... Americans would not would be hated as Americans, and American Jews are going to be hated as Jews. This, I'm, I'm not defending this. this. It's not that it's fair, but it's. But what I'm saying is, it's to be expected. The price of a George Soros is also anti-Semitism. Right, but what I'm saying is that, you know, uh, with all due respect to self-hating Jews and to Jews who think that- <laughs> And there that, is a that, lot of respect, I know you and, have. And, and uh, no, it's all due respect. And, know, to, and, and, with all, and, and with all due respect to the idea that, you know, uh, um, Jews are, are contributing to Jew hatred or justifying Jew hatred. I don't think that neo-Nazis need George Soros to hate Jews. And I don't think that the Ilhan Omers and Linda Sarsours and the and the uh, the the Siddiqis of of the world mm. need um, need Jewish Voice for Palestine or whatever it's called uh, uh, Jewish to hate Voices Jews for, and to for hate Israel. yeah whatever to to hate yeah. Jews and I don't think that Louis Farrakhan 
needs the ACLU, you know, Jewish lawyers to say that, uh, you know, that Jew Judaism is a gutter religion and and that Jews are termites. I, I just don't think that it's that the Jews themselves that are fomenting this. What I do think- No, but why would they help? Why would they help? And not and a question of helping. I, I think the problem is that, you know, if you don't have strong Jewish awareness of what's going on, if you have Jewish self-delusion on, you know, on the altar of universalism, that's blinding mm -hmm. Jews from the danger that's shooting them in the head, you know, then they're not, then, then anti-Semitism is going to expand. I mean, if the, the FBI is going to continue to deny anti-Semitism, even as rabbis and congregants at Shabbat services are being held hostage. Because if you don't have coherent Jewish voices in the United States saying this cannot stand and we oppose Muslim anti-Semitism and we oppose white supremacist anti-Semitism yeah. and we oppose black anti-Semitism, all the same way, then nobody is going to feel any fire under their butt to actually do anything to stop it. That I mean, I think that I think that that's where the Jewish universalists are harming is that they're making it more difficult to get authorities to actually do something to protect Jews and to protect protect America from anti-Semites and the irrationality that they that they that they. Um, that they spew and that they advance. Yeah, I, 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 I think it, uh, look, I don't think it's that fragile a time in the United States right now for, for, uh, for Jews, but there are a lot of people, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people who are looking to put, to put the Jews in a, in a bad way. I, I, I wrote a piece for tablet explaining how, you know, about how there are different uh, Washington DC bureaucrats, counterterrorism experts who are keen to put the Jews in the middle of the deep state's attack on Trump supporters post January 6th. And I think that's extremely dangerous. And my colleagues at Tablet, uh, my colleagues at Tablet agreed that this is a, a very bad thing. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say it's the, and uh, you know, it's not, it's the Jews are getting people mad at them and increasing anti-Semitism. I just think, I just think that there must be a way to understand a broader scope of history. The things that have happened before will happen again. So that's what I mean about the madness. And that's also what I mean about understanding political context. The Jews are, are a minority and there are different actions that minorities take. And some of them are um, well-informed by history and others are less well-informed by history. To be sure, to be sure. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we're finding is that, you know, there are, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's true in other countries. I think that Europe is so far along in losing their democracies with the EU project that it's very difficult to, to look at them for parallels. But I think that there are so many striking parallels between Israel and the United States and um, and what's happening in the United States and its impact on American Jews, mm -hmm. what's happening among American Jews and their, that impact on America, that it does seem that the fates of both people are just completely intertwined, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, do you think, so let me, we only have a couple more minutes. So Lee, okay. let me just ask you, mm -hmm. I, I know you said you're optimistic, um, yeah. but 
where do you see the change coming from? Do you see a change coming from the elections? Do you see the change coming in, in the culture? Where do you, how do you see no, it coming I, about I, I, in the United I, States? Where do you yeah, see it? Elections are important. Elections are very important. But I've been saying since, uh, since 2020, it's like, there, but there's no, there's no redemption in politics. I mean, it's very important to run the right candidate. But people have been saying, we need to have the right, the right slate of candidates. We need to have the right people running for positions on the hill. I'm like, we need to build local leadership. And by that, I mean, we need to regain our strengths and our strengths have to do with families and communities. And this is one of the things, this is one of the things that COVID has desecrated. People have not been able to go to church. They've not been able to go to the synagogue. They've not been able to go, kids have not been able to go to school. They haven't been able to play sports. They haven't been able to go to movies. They haven't been able to do any of the things that bring us together as Americans, right? That that show that, well, there are other things aside from politics. We're, you know, we're all out here coaching the little league team, you know, or, 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 or coaching, uh, you know, coaching um, or, or, or teaching, or teaching a, a, a band or something like that. All those things have been taken away from us. We need to have those things back. We need to build our communities. We need to make our communities strong. We need to make our towns strong. That's the way to start right there. That's the way to build. That's the way to build uh, to build real resilience. It's not through politics. People complain all the time, rightly so. The GOP, a bunch of clowns. They won't do anything. They're fake. The GOP establishment. They're you know controlled opposition. Yeah, they are. But again, the the salvation of this or the the redemption of this country is not going to come on Capitol Hill, right? These are the representatives of the American people. What are the American people going to do, right? Donald Trump is not the answer, nor is Ron DeSantis. The answer is the American people. But to figure that out, we have to go back and figure out which way they're going. I'd like it to happen soon because I'd like things to turn around very quickly in time for the midterms, in time for 2024. But I don't think that we're about to fall off a cliff. You know, there is urgency, but I think the most important thing is, again, that Americans within families, within communities, that we go back and, and we, we recognize our real sources of strength because the real campaign is to weaken us. It's not just to, it's not just to take our money and hand it to Democratic Party favorites. It is. It's a campaign of demoralization and desecration. So, what are our strengths? What are the things we do to keep our our families and communities strong? That's what. There's no redemption in politics. I think you're right. You know, we're looking at things from in, from an Israeli perspective, you know, I mean, when when uh, Lee and I were chatting before we started this uh, episode uh, filming, you know, he, he he mentioned you mentioned the uh, the Serbian uh, tennis uh, tennis player who was expelled from Australia. Yeah. And, you know, this became like this huge international story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, this is just an expression of the, I mean, you could say your word, you know, obscurantist yeah. uh, uh, discourse that, that has taken right. taken hold that, that foreign policy ends up being about right. stupid things. We you know as right. as the threats to our security enumerate, I mean, it's the same thing as your Lapid 
our idiot foreign minister, you know, he enumerated the achievements of his incredible foreign policy, which was like, you know, 50,000 hits for our statement on Instagram. I had 15 interviews in the in the media. And this guy on TV said, well, if you're going by numbers, then Gal Gadot has more successful foreign policy than the state of Israel does. I mean, but, you know, and he was right, right? but he's right, but he, but it's stupid. And I mean, it's the same thing with turning the biggest story in foreign affairs into the, you know, into the Australians being so insane about COVID that they throw out a tennis star. I, I think it's the biggest story in foreign affairs or it represents what's the big, the big thing in foreign affairs. Cause again, there, there is a political sphere where different things are happening, but there are other things. There's enormous uh, shifts taking place. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, whom a lot of people look to uh, believe may challenge Donald Trump for the Republican Party nomination in 2024. DeSantis, uh, the, a couple of months ago, was talking about Australia and the lockdowns there and what they're doing to Australian citizens. He said, can you believe what's happening in Australia? This is almost as bad as China, right? Here's the difference. Australia has been an American ally for uh, for for centuries, right? Australia has fought alongside the United States in more wars than the UK has. This is a traditional American ally. And you have the you have a popular governor of the state of Florida saying, what's going on there? So when we come out of this, is Australia going to be the same, seen the same way by the American public? Will the United Kingdom, will Canada? What will that mean in terms of the American alliance system? What is it going to look like in two, three, four, five years? That's what I mean. There are things that are happening right now, whether it's the Biden administration wanting to get back into the Iran nuclear deal or whether it's uh, whether it's a tennis player who can't get in to play a big tournament in Australia. There are things on the surface and there are things that are happening underneath. And these are the things that are going to have a real consequential effect on foreign affairs for the rest of our lifetime, without a doubt. Well, on that happy note, right? Well, Gotti, why don't you take the last I, word? I, today? I think it's a. I think it's a good note. Things are why? changing. Yeah, I, I, I think Lee. I think I. Gotti's optimistic. I'm, I'm going to let him. I'm going to let him uh, say why it's good. I, I, okay. I, I'm. I was just going to say that I need you uh, once in a while here because yeah. because I'm trying to inject some uh, optimism into Caroline. Yeah. Uh, but 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 I must say for her that that most of her warnings turned out to be. Um, uh, oh yeah. Um, how, how do you say sofotatid, uh, Caroline? Um, oh, I'm a prophet. Uh, no. <laughs> Appreciate, appreciate. Okay, prescient is good. I like prophetic. prophetic I never, I never know how to. I never knew how to pronounce this one. So, on this prophetic note. Um, All right, yeah. no, no, no. I have to end it. Okay, so but, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you subscribe to the Carolina and Clinton get Middle some East more News optimism. Network. Right, so that we can. I'll bring in more happy-go-lucky kind of guys like Lee Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how horrible I must be if Lee Smith is the is the is the is the Pollyanna hey, I'm, next I'm, to me? I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna. I am. I know I'm op- terrible. Look, it's not it's it's not that I think we're not in a bad time or in a bad place. I'm just saying. I look at the other side and their weakness. I'm like, they're not serious. They can do a lot of danger. They've already done a tremendous amount of damage, right? 
but it's, it's extremely fragile. Who was it? It's like the way Ben-Gurion spoke about Lebanon. He said, it's a broken reed. Our elite is a broken reed. It looks to me like your ours. elite is also a broken reed. What does that They're mean? very powerful though, but they are broken. You're, I think very you're absolutely dang, right. And we have dangerous. God, you know, and we have God. So there you go. And, and the, the, the Bible, I mean, really, yeah. I mean, let people understand how history actually unfolds. All right. Well, I appreciate that. I think our, our viewers will appreciate that. I think Gotti appreciates you. He's like a Lee Smith groupie and, uh, and the, and, and it's well earned. Nice. It's, it's well deserved. Nice. I'm, I'm a groupie too. I'm just not as nice. That's, about very, it. that's very nice. Thank you guys. Okay. And thank you very much for, for inviting me on today. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. Thank you, Lee. I look forward to it. All right. Take and, care, and, everybody. And, and all of you come and visit us here in the States. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. God bless. At CPAC. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>